Here's the burden of my heart, that God would do again what he did in Ezra chapter 1, that he would stir our hearts with a new desire to gather with his people, to exalt his name, and to know his presence among us. Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. I'm David Pick. And Colin, we're going all the way back to the book of Ezra today. It is a great story. God's people at this time had been taken off into exile in Babylon. Can you imagine an entire community being taken from one place to another? Jerusalem had been completely wrecked. It had been flattened and overwhelmed and God's people were hundreds of miles away in another country, another place, and it had been like that for decades. And then God's Holy Spirit started to stir people's hearts. We've got to go back to the place that God called us to be. We've got to rebuild the place where God put his name, the city of Jerusalem. We've got to rebuild the temple so that we can worship the Lord there. So it's a wonderful story about people making a new beginning. And it's a wonderful story of people getting back to worship. That was the first thing that they did. And you know, as we begin a new year to get back to worshiping God with other believers is a wonderful, wonderful new beginning to make. I want to encourage that for anyone who's drifted away from a place of worship. Why not this year get back to worshiping with God's people? That's the story of the book of Ezra. It's a fascinating story and it's full of encouragement. Let's continue to look at that story in the first 11 verses of chapter 1 of Ezra. So if you can, grab your Bible and meet us there for the next part of our message, A New Beginning. Here's Colin. Now, you don't need me to say again that these are difficult days for God's people. We're all very, very aware of that. But let me put it this way. These are days, surely, when we need a fresh infusion of spiritual life. Let me read a quote to you from Professor Robert Coleman, who used to teach at uh, Trinity. It was very striking to me uh, reading it uh, just this week. He says this, quote, For many good people, even within the church, life has lost its meaning. There is no sparkle in the eye, no spring in the step, And as the religious community flounders in mediocrity, the world plunges deeper into sin. I wonder if you relate to that. Long period of discouragement. And there's no sparkle in the eye. There's no spring in the step. We get more and more tired and jaded and our walk with God slides into mediocrity while the world plunges deeper and deeper into sin. That's how it was in Babylon. And what you have in Ezra and chapter 1 is what we desperately need today, a spiritual awakening. God stirred the heart's of his people. There was a fresh outpouring of faith and of joy and of love and of hope, a fresh infusion of energy, a recovery of a sense of calling and a sense of purpose. 
What we have in the book of Ezra and why it speaks so directly to us today is nothing less than a spiritual movement in which God stirred the hearts of his people. And when the hearts of God's people were stirred, there was a new passion that was birthed within them. A new love, a new joy, a new energy, and a new sense of purpose. So this is the book that we're looking at. It speaks to us in multiple ways. It is the story of a new beginning after a long period of disruption. It is the story of a new passion. As God stirred the hearts of his people after a long period of discouragement. And it is the story of a new challenge after a long period of stability. Now, will you look with me again at verse 5? Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. Now, remember that God's people had been at least 50 years in Babylon, and for some much longer, and that suddenly, almost overnight, there is this radical sea change in social policy, and people who have not had freedom to return are suddenly told that they're actively encouraged to return to the city of Jerusalem. I want you to try and imagine this extraordinary moment in the lives of these people. The king's edict is read, no doubt, messengers sent out proclaiming it. It was put in writing, we're told, so no doubt it would have been posted on the walls of public buildings. And very quickly the word spreads. Have you heard the news? The new king says we are free to return. We can go back to Jerusalem. We can rebuild. What are you going to do? What do you think? And these exiles had been in Babylon for 50 years. I mean, those who had arrived as bright young students like Daniel in their 20s, they're now in their 70s. And those who had arrived earlier are obviously much older. And it's not surprising that there would have been many who felt that it was simply too late for them to return. And then think about this, that after 50 years of exile, there were two full generations of God's people who had never even seen the city of Jerusalem, not in their lives. The only thing they'd ever known was life at a distance from the city of God. And over the years, these people would have planted crops. They would have raised animals. They would have started small businesses in Babylon. In fact, that is precisely what God, through the prophet Jeremiah, had told them to do. If you check it out in Jeremiah in chapter 29, God says to them through the prophet at the beginning of the exile, now build houses, plant gardens, marry, raise families, and now suddenly, after 50 years of doing that, they're being invited to leave everything that they have built up behind 
and make an entirely new beginning in the ruined city of God that the vast majority of them have never even seen. What you've got to grasp is that these people had stability in Babylon. Babylon was safe. Returning to Jerusalem, that sounds risky. Risky. And you can imagine the conversations very easily. You're going back? Well, I don't know. Why would I want to return? And what difference would it make if I did? Do I really want to leave all that I have built up here behind and make a new beginning in the ruined city of Jerusalem? I mean, it is not surprising at all that people made very different decisions. Now, if you look just across the page in your Bible to Ezra chapter 2, you will see that that chapter gives us a long list of the names of all the families that returned under the leadership of Zerubbabel when Cyrus the king granted them permission to do so. And if you look down to verse 64, you will see in chapter 2 and verse 64 that when all the numbers of all the families that did return at this time are added up, there were more than 42,000 of them, plus servants and a few singers. And so if you round up these numbers, you're around 50,000 people returned. Now, Professor Walt Kaiser estimates that 50,000 probably represents about one in six of all the exiles in Babylon. One in six. And here's the question that I've tried to ask myself really honestly this week, and I, I ask it of you. Would I have returned? Would I have returned? I mean, seriously, if I had lived 50 years in Babylon, my children, my grandchildren are there, I have a life in which I've developed a small business and uh, have a little farm and I have stability and I have safety in Babylon. Would I have chosen to move with a small community of people to a ruined city I had never even seen before in order to begin a new work for God? Would I have done that? Would you have done that? One thing's absolutely certain, none of us would have done it unless our hearts were stirred by the living God. And that's the point of verse 5. I think it's remarkable that there were 50,000 people whose hearts God stirred to leave everything and to start a new work in a place that most of them had never even seen before, to leave a cultivated life. And start up afresh in a ruined city. Because that was the work that they knew God had called them to do. And then as you follow the story, 80 years later, 80 years later, there was a second wave of people that returned. This time under the leadership of Ezra, uh, whose name of course is given to this book. Though Ezra himself doesn't actually appear in the story until about halfway through. And then 13 years after the time of Ezra, there was a third wave of people who returned 
this time under the leadership of Nehemiah. And of course, their story is in the book of Nehemiah that follows the book of Ezra in the Bible. But here's the thing. Some, and perhaps many of God's people, simply chose to stay in Babylon and never returned. And I'm sure that some of them would have had good reasons for not returning. Some surely would have said, well, you know, I have elderly loved ones. I mean, they're not able to make this journey to Jerusalem. They can't set up in some kind of camp in a ruined city. I mean, it's just not possible. I have to care for them. I have to think about them. And, and so I'm not able to return. Perhaps there were other people who said, well, you know, I have young children. I mean, how do you take young children into um, effectively a camp in a ruined city and try and rebuild? It's not something that we can do and so forth. And then I expect that there were others who could have gone back, but they had just got used to life in Babylon and life was comfortable for them in Babylon and their spirits were not stirred to return and so they simply chose to remain where they were at a distance from the city of God. Now here's the really important question at this point. Why does the return matter? Why is it important? You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith, and we'll be back to answer that question in a moment. You're listening to our message called A New Beginning, and it's part of our series, Return. And if you miss any of the series, or if you want to go back and listen again, don't forget, you can always do that by coming online. Come to our website, openthebible.org.uk. You can also find us as a podcast, if that's an easier way for you to uh, connect with Pastor Collins' teaching. You can find that on your regular podcast site. Just search for Open the Bible UK and subscribe to receive regular updates. Back to the message now, here's Colin. Now here's the really important question at this point. Why does the return matter? Why is it important? Why is it that there are two whole books of the Bible dedicated to the story of the return, Ezra and Nehemiah? I mean, after all, God's people who chose not to return could still continue to practice their faith in Babylon. I mean, they could read the scriptures, they could pray, and they could bear witness to the Babylonian peoples around them and the Persians who then began to rule over them. And it is simply a matter of history that, in fact, many of them did just that. The whole book of Esther, for example, is not set in Jerusalem among the returning exiles. It's set in the palace of Susa, the royal palace. And it's a remarkable story about how God used faithful people who did not return to Jerusalem. And then there's a whole history of the evolution of what is known as the Babylonian Talmud. Now, Talmud is simply 
devotional reflections on Scripture. And down through the generations of those who did not return to Jerusalem, there was this Babylonian Talmud that was developed. In other words, they reflected on the Scripture. They wrote their devotional thoughts on the Scripture and passed them down for generation to generation, the Babylonian Talmud. So here are people who still loved the Lord. They uh, loved His Word. No doubt they were faithful in prayer. No doubt many of them had a faithful witness to those who were around them, but they did not return to Jerusalem. So this is a very real question. Why does the return matter? Let me answer it as plainly and as simply as I can. Here's why the return matters. Early in the Old Testament, God had said that there would be a place where he would put his name. Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 5, though this language is repeated many times in the Old Testament, you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go. God's going to put his name in a certain place and he's going to be present there. He's going to make his habitation there. And In the time of King David, David discerned that that place was the city of Jerusalem. And that is why he brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, the city of God. And in Solomon's time, the great temple was built. And when the Ark of the Covenant was housed in the temple, the glory of God's presence, the cloud of his glory came down and it filled the temple. Now, someone will no doubt say at this point, oh, well, now that's all Old Testament stuff. I mean, a place where God puts his name and says, I will meet you there. That's Old Testament stuff. Now, I want to say our situation is not so different. Think about it. The purpose of God in our time is that there should be gathered congregations of believers who will exalt his name and his presence will come down and be known among them. Peter declares in the New Testament that we believers are living stones. And God brings each of us together. For what purpose? That we may declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and brought us into his marvelous light. And as God's people come together and declare his praise, there's a marvelous description in 1 Corinthians in chapter 14 of an unbeliever who comes into the worshiping congregation. And as the word of God is opened, he experiences God speaking directly to him in the context of a worshiping congregation. And he says, God is really among you. God is among you. Among you. See, God's purpose in the Old Testament was that there would be a place on earth where God's people would gather, where they would exalt his name, and where his presence would be known. And God's purpose in the New Testament, God's purpose today, is that there would be places in every community where God's people gather, where his name is exalted. And where his presence is known. And that is the calling of the church. 
And so here's the burden of my heart, that God would do again what he did in Ezra chapter 1, that he would stir our hearts with a new desire to gather with his people, to exalt his name, and to know his presence among us. And I understand, I really do, I understand from the depth of my heart that people will choose to return to worship at different times, just as they returned to Jerusalem at different times in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. But here's my plea from the heart today. Please don't fall into the trap of thinking that gathering for worship doesn't matter. It does. It does. And it matters because the purpose of God today is that here in this community and in every community, there should be gatherings of believers who exalt his name and experience his presence being made known as we gather together in worship. And as I've been preparing for this series and praying that God would stir our hearts, do again what he did in Ezra chapter 1, let me end by simply asking you this question. Do you feel a stirring in your heart as we begin this new year? Is there not something within you that wishes that you had greater faith and greater joy and greater hope and greater love? Is there not within your heart some sense that you would like to serve God more fully this year than you did last year? Is there not something within you that says, I want to know more of his peace. I want to have more of that sparkle in my eye and that spring in my step. I want my joy in Christ to be restored and to be increased. Well, you see, if you feel anything like that at all, it is surely a sign that the Spirit of God is already stirring your heart. Thank God for that. And ahead of us this month, as we continue in the book of Ezra, is a journey in which we're going to see how we can pursue what God is stirring in our hearts and how you can navigate the many, many setbacks that will come to you, to all of us, as you pursue this journey. But most of all, what we're going to see very wonderfully is that when God stirs his people, there is a new beginning. There really is. And that where God's people are gathered and where his name is exalted and where his presence is known, God blesses his people and through his people brings blessing the world. You've been listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and our message, A New Beginning, part of the series, Return. And if you've missed any of the series, don't forget you can catch up or go back and listen again online at our website, openthebible.org.uk, or find us as a podcast, go to your favourite podcast site, search for Open the Bible UK, and subscribe to receive regular updates. On our website and also as a podcast, you'll find Open the Bible Daily. This is a series of short two to three minute reflections based on Pastor Colin Smith's teaching and read in the UK by Sue McLeish. Sue, 
Who do you think would benefit from regularly hearing Open the Bible daily? Well, David, I think everyone would benefit. But for myself, I just love hearing a book from the Bible, bit by bit, just explained so beautifully and carefully. And, and it's also, it's not too long. It's just at the start of the day, and you can take the reflection into the day. And in questions, too, of course, just make you think a little bit. Open the Bible is able to stay on this station and on the internet as a result of generous gifts from our listeners, people just like you. And if that's something you'd like to begin to do, if you're able to set up a new donation to Open the Bible in the amount of £5 per month or more, we'd love to send you as a thank you gift a book, Psalms by the Day, and it's written by the Bible scholar Alec Mocher. Colin, who would you say this book is written for? Oh, well, this would be a great resource for anyone who wants to expand the capacity of their own heart. You know, the marvelous thing about the Psalms is that they address every kind of human experience. I mean, you've got joy here, you've got depression, you've got faith, doubt, peace, raging, anger. I mean, the the whole range of human experience is in the Psalms. And Psalms by the Day is just a wonderful resource to open up these marvelous prayers in which we're able to lay before the Lord what we're feeling in our own hearts and what we're experiencing in our own lives and seek from him the help that he alone is able to give. Well, we'd love to send you a copy of this book as a free gift if you're able to set up a new donation to the work of Open the Bible in the amount of £5 per month or more. Full details on our website, openthebible.org.uk. For Open the Bible and for Pastor Colin Smith, I'm David Pick, and I hope you'll be able to join us again next time. Have you ever wondered why in the Old Testament God's people had an altar, feasts and the temple? Find out why next time on Open the Bible.